Welcome back to the show. It has been a long time. A long time. Um, obviously, we had originally said we were going to do it, I don't know, once every other week during the summer. Fail. Uh, we, we didn't come close. Uh, the summer definitely got away from us, but uh, we're back here in the fall. Uh, we're trying to do some interesting things. We're going to try to put us on TV or YouTube or whatever you want to call it. Uh, we'll try that. But um, um, Team USA, U19 Team USA played this summer. Uh, the original game they played in January, they lost to Canada. I don't really know the score. It's a pretty high-scoring uh, game. They were de- they were up big in the first half. Canada climbed back, and they actually won. It was an exhibition game. Uh, they played this summer. They beat Canada pretty heftily in the first game. Came back. And again, I don't really care about the rest of the games because everyone knows that the only two teams that actually matter in the U19 this year specifically uh, was U.S. and Canada. Well, I disagree because Iroquois was beating Canada. They almost beat Canada. That's true. Um, and so I, I would say that certainly Canada and, and the U.S. are the two monster favorites. But I, I think it's I think the Iroquois absolutely are relevant in that conversation. I mean, they very easily could have beaten Canada. So they're they relevant. Have to be considered relevant. They're relevant. But when it came down to U.S. versus Iroquois, they didn't see the ball. The whole time, they didn't see the ball. I mean, it was just a yeah. one side. I mean, I think the goal differential was like 10 or 12. I mean, that right. was that was pretty aggressive. Yeah. My thing about the US U19 Team USA, and I know you have a background, AT, because you played. Um, and my thing was, is there was a lot of weight on Nick Myers' shoulders going into this. United, the men's team lost. The women's team lost. We've never sniffed and came close to sniffing an indoor world title. Canada's taken both of those from the U19 and the uh, men's elite. So Canada right now is without question the best lacrosse in the world. They've proven it. But there was a lot of weight on Nick Myers. He pulls it out after what looked like they should have lost. And they probably should have came back. It was a it was a gutsy effort, but talk a little bit about your experience, AT, and how Team USA U19 uh, made an impact on your career, um, and how you see the team now, and how the world of selection in terms of American lacrosse selection works. What's your opinion on all of it? Yeah, I mean, hard to believe that that was 28 years ago. Um, in 1988, we won the gold. I think we won 12-5 in the final, and we were expected to win. And I think that the major difference between then and now is that back then the Americans had youth leagues and, and, you know, really were farther ahead as it relates to teaching the field game and then the schemes associated with the field game. And, uh, you know, 26 years later, the Canadians have arguably the better youth teaching movement with all of their box lacrosse and, and all of the, you know, subtleties to that game. And in particular, the, the stick handling, the accelerated stick handling learning curve there and their ability to, you know, shoot a higher percentage, um, you know, has really made up for what was for a long time, a huge advantage to the Americans just in terms of the athleticism. Right. Uh, you know, I think with the Americans in the last couple 
world championships, at least in the senior level, have gotten into trouble is they've played a slowed down game. And I think that, um, you know, that really doesn't speak to the Americans exploiting, you know, at least what is a perceived still advantage, and that's the athleticism. You would think that, you know, they would want to play uh, more pressure around the perimeter and, and would want to play a faster game. But let's right. face it, you get into a transition game with the Canadians, they don't miss many shots. And <laughs> if you're going to step out and pressure around the perimeter and you go man down on Canada, you're probably going to end up disappointed because they're going to end up scoring. <laughs> so uh, I just think that we, in 1988, were at a distinct advantage because the youth leagues and we're so much farther ahead that we just had better athletes and uh, we're more organized. And, you know, nowadays I think that these kids, um, you know, have a greater appreciation for developing athletically uh, earlier, which I think has helped close the gap in that respect. And let's face it, the Canadians have better stick work. They do, you know, they don't make the same amount of unforced turnovers they all know how to feed. They all can handle tight passes. And they're clearly the world's best finishers. So you put all those things together and they start to become a very, very scary team to play. And then you start to factor in, you know, the face-off game where the Americans, again, traditionally has all, have always sort of dominated that area. Uh, you know, if they can compete in that area, the Canada and they're sharing possessions or winning more, they're, they're going to be really scary because you don't really stop Canada from scoring. Let's face right. it. Um, you know, you, you have to outground ball them and you have to, in order to do that, you gotta, you gotta win the faceoffs. Right. Um, so I, I just think I agree with you. Nick, Nick Myers and his staff did an unbelievable job. They took a ton of heat when they put the roster together, everybody was whining and saying, you know, this roster is jaded. It should, it's, there's too many Ohio state players, too many Penn state players, too many Penn players, and, you know, sure enough, where they got beat, you know, pretty decisively after putting this initial team together, they were able to get the team to gel and come together at the end when it mattered most and, you know, made up, I think, a three-goal deficit going into the fourth quarter. I believe it was a three-goal deficit going into the fourth quarter and pulled out a great victory. So, and that's what good coaches do. They bring teams, they bring players together and they do it in a way that, uh, makes the sum of all the parts better than the individual parts, and 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 they needed to they needed to come together as a team to win that game, and sure enough, they did. So awesome job! I agree. I think they did a great job. I think there was a lot of heat on Nick, and I'll tell you, if he did lose, or I shouldn't even say that. I will say this: given the final score of the U nineteen, you know, game world gold medal game. You got to actually think to yourself, wow, are we, as Americans, are we getting better or are we getting worse developing our youth? Right? I mean, look, uh, what year did you play? U19? 88? 1988. 88. And you walked over everyone. The McDLT just came out for you older 45 plus. McDLT was a, <laughs> was a fast food item at McDonald's where it was cold on one side and warm on the other. So if you had a McDLT with cheese, on one side of the container was your bun, your burger, and your cheese. And then on the other side was the top of the bun, and it had mayonnaise on it, which was great because I love mayonnaise. And then I lettuce and tomato. Mayonnaise. And they preached it as one side was hot and one side was cold. So if you get aggressive, 
Google McDLT and you will see it's a long styrofoam, double chambered styrofoam container and it just came out and uh, it was fantastic. <laughs> but you got to figure in 1988, you were expected to literally kill everyone. And to be honest, it's it's probably true in the U19s now. We're, we're talking U19s. Right. Probably standard. Like I didn't even hear about the U19 worlds up until, you know, I was like in college. And even then, if you look at all the scores, I mean, it was just murder, right? I mean, it was U.S. and then nobody. And that includes yeah. Canada. And now you look at what's happening at the main stage, the men's elite, where they're winning. And they've won two out of the last three World Cup, uh, World Games. And now they're close to beating the U19 team. You wonder, what is the U.S. doing for the youth out there in terms of development and obviously, U.S. lacrosse came out with new rules. Uh, you know, they're shortening the fields, finally. They're shortening the nets. I, I feel like in personal, and you heard about those rules, right, A.T.? Yeah, yeah. I feel like they're doing a little bit of drastic measures to this. Um, but I do think that the one thing, no matter what rules you're going to change, there's an aspect of being inside of a board, a boarded rink, where the ball bounces back to you at six, seven, eight, nine, ten years mm -hmm. old, and that keeps the ball perpetually in play at all times. That changes, like when we throw the ball out of bounds, it's up coaching moment. We set our kids up. We do all this. Now nah, we're talking touches and reps. If we have out of bounds and not a board, I mean things aren't really going to change all that. We're much. conditioned to stop. Right. Where the Canadians are are conditioned to continue to play, continue to play, or people, go, 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 I should go, 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 say go. the Canadians, but the people that are playing box lacrosse, yes. you know, the game never ends because it's in, it's just like a hockey game, obviously. It doesn't stop. Outside with, particularly the youth level where, you know, they have more passing and catching stick mistakes. It's a, it's a stop all the time whether the ball goes out of bounds or the whistle, whatever it may be. So I, I agree with you. I think that, you know, they, there is a, uh, a sincere advantage that the Canadians have as it relates to just, just playing faster for longer right. that we don't seem to benefit from with playing in the field instead of playing in the ring. So I think you did. I know that you tweeted out about that. And I, yeah, I, I was really, I was I really passionate. I, have, I haven't, I haven't been on Twitter and just because I've done social media overload, got Facebook, got Snapchat, got Instagram. I'm all over the place. You sound like my daughter, Tyler Ryan. Uh, oh no. Tyler's on all of that. Oh, Some Jesus. of it. Yeah. Oh, Some Jesus. Uh, so that means Andy's going to start being on that. That's <laughs> that for sure. Or Andy's got to start, start stopping being on that one or the other. <laughs> so, uh, but I was like, when that all came out, look, I'm excited that us lacrosse has made major moves. But I'm not excited that, one, there are certainly safety issues that they've never foreseen because, guess what, none of those guys are on social media telling everyone about the next cool drill to do. They just publish the drills that, like, kids from college do from the college coaches. I mean, nothing that U.S. Lacrosse does uh, improves the development of the kids, although this is the first time they're trying, and I like it, but I think that there are massive holes they need to fix. For instance, if you have a three-by-three three net with a four- or a five-foot goalie, are they going to play up or are they going to play down? Now, I think you can make <laughs> it fun for the kids and put them in NHL hockey pads, and you can have fun with the kids and put them in you know, indoor pads. That's all fun. In fact, everyone will, will want to participate. But the thing is, is... 
They haven't even thought about that. They're like, yeah, 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 this is what we're going to do. Rules to come. It's kind of like the NFL. It's like, yeah, we're going to do this and wait for everyone to filter all their good ideas and bad ideas and then then go ahead. There's no – they didn't – who did they include in trying to make this the right thing? Do they include college coaches who don't right. coach youth kids on a daily basis? Right. Do they include – you know, I don't even know who the CEO of U.S. Across is. Steve Stenerson. Stenerson. Very good guy. Who, who is he, though? Did he play lacrosse? He played at Carolina. But yeah. when's the last time he's coached a team? Uh, I don't think he has. Right. He coaches his kids' teams. I don't know. Right. But even then, it's like. I mean, I, I, what, what I like about it is I like that they are at least getting to work and trying to address which clearly like is that. a need. And, and you got to respect that. Do they get but do you, it perfect, but do you think, hold on, AJ, do you think that they're doing that because they think it's in the best interest of the youth development? Or do you think they've gotten trashed over the last two years where they're like, oh, Jesus, we gotta make a, we got to make a move. What do you think we should do? You know what I'm saying? I think they're doing it in the best interest of youth development. I, I think any, listen, you're never going to please everybody. True. And no matter Definitely what they me. do, there's going to be, you know, a group of play, a group of people that are naysayers. I think that they have to be applauded for. This is a good step. Pro, yeah, the, yeah. Look, this is this is the way. The first thing that you do is 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 you is you put out what you think is yep. the best call, and then yep. you perpetually uh, groom yep. the template, and eventually, um, you know, you die, and somebody else takes over and does it. <laughs> But let's face it. I mean, nothing is ever a finished product ever. Right. Right. Not even the NFL. But, nothing is. And and no, so no, no, no. They, Actually, the, no, the finished product was the MLL. It started in 2001, hasn't changed 16 years later. It's it's done. It's it's perfect, well, they, right? They, no, they, right. It's perfect, right? Well, they, you know, they finally added a poll and we'll find out <laughs> what. <laughs> they uh, added the poll seven it, years ago. Is that what it was? Seven five. years ago they added yeah, the poll? It was so long ago. I only think they added the poll, like, or it didn't have a poll for like four the or five years. Need, they, they, the MLL needs to bring back the dive. And even if it's just it for is. the MLL. It is. Oh, it, it is, is full time? Yeah. So that's how much you know about the MLL. Well, that's probably true. I'll probably cut that out of the podcast. I won't, though. <laughs> Keep it in your <laughs> uh, but no, I agree with you. No, this is this is 100%. Look, I'm glad because they're going to see so many mistakes. My only fear, again, they just got to worry about the safety. If you shrink nets, well, let's just say, go extreme example. You take a fourth grader, put him in uh, lacrosse goalie equipment, and then have him defend a soccer net, right? He's never going to get hit. <laughs> He's sure. never going to get hit. He's just going to get scored on all the time. But when you shrink it to a mice hole behind him, He's going to get hit a lot and he's not going to like it. And so you got to fix that problem. And then you also have the problem with if he's not going to like it, we're not going to have any goalies. If he's not going to like it, now all of a sudden you have injury issues and all that kind of stuff. So I, I, I do applaud that they finally made a drastic. This isn't some small move they've made, which right. they do in the women's game all the time. For instance, high school chicks still can't run through the uh, crease on defense, but in college they can which teaches just awful defensive principles. Well, they, they, they have to get that aligned. They, they have to get you know, that they, fixed. So that everybody's coaching the same Correct. Way. There's no question. The, the one thing that I noticed about the rules is that they seemed, you know, it seems like we're really trying to just totally eliminate the physicality of the sport. It, it just, 
But you know, isn't I, that the obviously, way our obviously, obviously you out? have to protect, 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 you know, the players. But yeah. it just seems like, you know, literally, they are just trying to eliminate all hitting and all physicality. And, you know, you know from playing pro box, I know from playing pro box that at least when, when I played, I remember the NL feeling like it was as close to, you know, a street fight or a war as I'd ever been in. If you're not looking to the left and the right all the time, you're going to get a cross check to the back of your neck. You're going to get a cross check to the hip. You're going to get somebody that's going to wind up and hit you across the shins. You're going to get something on the wrist. Like you just, you just, it, it people, think you that, people, people think that's dirty. The thing is, is if I'm the best offensive player, I'm just making this up. If I'm the best offensive player on the field and I have to think about you hitting me on the hip, I'm not going to be as good an offense. You bet. And everybody's thinking about it. I mean, I was right? thinking about it. I had 150 I... career goals in college and I probably had five. <laughs> In pro indoor lacrosse, because I just number one, I wasn't that good of a shooter. But number two, like exactly like you said, you know, you're just you're just aware of career-ending cheap all the time. And we didn't <laughs> yeah. and we didn't grow up playing that. You know, no, we, we grew up with, you know, outside. It wasn't that sort of mentality. And you go and you go and you play, and you're like, you can't even believe this. And oh yeah, you know, it it, it and that was the sort of the first time we played in the you you know 1988 U. Uh, 19 games playing against Team Canada, we started to see that stuff on the field, and you couldn't even believe that it was going on. The funniest part about it was I remember playing against Tommy Fair and Pat Coyle and Neil Doddridge, you know, all guys that went on to become, you know, legends in the NLL pro indoor game later on in life, and and playing against these guys in the, in the U19 games, like, I wanted to kill these guys. <laughs> and then you'd go and you'd see them at the reception, and they were like the nicest guys. Oh, the world. nicest and they, guys. And they, it was as though they never even cross-checked it. I'm like, is this the they same don't remember. guy? They don't remember. They don't even they don't remember. remember doing it. And, nope. and um, It's instinctual. You know, it's instinctual. It, it is. It's instinctual, and it's it's part of the culture of the game, and, and if you just couldn't appreciate that, having never been exposed to it, but now you know, 30 years afterwards you can see how that is no different. What they did to us then is no different than what the Pistons did to Jordan. <laughs> that's you right. Know, in that's, the late eighties, they just said, example. "You know what? We're, we're just gonna we can't Beat we can't up. hang with you athletically. You're more skilled than us. We're gonna simply see if you're tough enough yep. to handle it mentally, to stay in your game and do what you do so well, while you might get you know a career-ending injury. I, and if you can do it, <laughs> more power to you. And if you can't, it worked, and we win. And go Labats. Right? <laughs> I love it, man. We're going to take a quick break here, and we're going to come back to a recap of all the jobs that happened this summer. And we've got a good take that I don't think a lot of people have a take on what we're going to talk about. But we'll be back. Hang with us. Maximize the Welcome back to the show. Again, we've got jobs. There was a bunch of them this summer and I'm looking over the list and I feel like I'm definitely missing a few, uh, probably because I, we already covered them, uh, over the summer, but the ones that we did not cover are the following UMBC, Jacksonville, Binghamton, UVA. And then of course, of course, spoiler alert, <laughs> UVA was replaced <laughs> by Tufts. So Let's get to the top of the order. Ryan Moran is named head coach, the offensive coordinator at Loyola. 
named head coach at UMBC. Couldn't be a more perfect fit than being right there in Baltimore where he's been for God knows how long at Maryland and then Loyola and now at UMBC. I'm really happy for Ryan because now he takes over. He's, you know, everyone talks about filling in footsteps. He's filling. Look, there's no one filling in bigger footsteps than Ryan Moran because True. he's got a dad that's done it and been successful in Long Island for years. And I talk about one of the nicer guys in this country, in the sport, one of the smartest guys in the sport who's done a great job. Uh, really pumped to see Ryan Moran get the UMBC job. Yeah, me too. I mean, I think that, you know, having been an assistant for a long time and eventually getting a head coaching opportunity, I certainly can understand the desire to be a head coach. And I think that, you know, ultimately what happens is when you've played such a huge role in the success of programs, he was at so Maryland, Maryland oh, before that. Right. I think he was at Navy first, right? Yeah. Navy and Navy and then Maryland and then Loyola going to the final four this year. And now at UMBC, um, you know, I think what happens is you just start to have conviction about the way that you think things should be done. And while no one was a more loyal coworker than Ryan Moran no to the various coaches that he's worked for, he's worked for, you know, many of the legends in today's game. I just think that, you know, you reach a point where you want things done the way that you want them done. And he has more than earned this opportunity. I would even expand that not only, uh, you know, is is he following, you know, in the footsteps of his dad, which is a legend Dumb. in the coaching ranks. He's taking over for one of, you know, the very best coaches of all time. Yes. And Don Zimmerman, you already mentioned who, that too. Yep. Who, 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 who frankly doesn't get enough uh, time in the best guys to ever coach the sport conversation, you know? And yep. so I think that, I think they made the right hire there. And I think that, He's going to be there for a very, very long time, and I think he's going to return the Retrievers to national prominence, prominence sooner rather than later. So I'm really happy for that. He's got so much leeway at UMBC. Look, and I, I, I base what I really meant when I was like filling big shoes. I, I just assumed that everyone knew Don Zimmerman, one of the greatest coaches of all time. He's got to fill those those footsteps, but he's got a bigger internal chip on his shoulder. Because he lived with it his entire life. Yeah, yeah. And so I was just really pumped to see him uh, take over that job. And I know he's going to do great. I know he's going to do a great job. And if I'm Don Zimmerman, I'm actually pumped that Ryan Moran's the guy that succeeds me. Because you got legend. I mean, Don, I mean, his, I mean that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really nice uh, kind of transition totally. for UMBC. Um, so I was pumped about that. Next one up is Jacksonville. Now, this one, by the way, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of tangent off a little bit. I chased the jobs all summer. By the way, at you know I did. Yeah, it was driving me nuts. I felt like Adam Schefter, and I, I, to be honest, I was Adam Schefter of lacrosse for like I don't know forty days, and. Adam Schefter, you can have your job. You were back. like it's Ryan like, Schefter, his no, like hairier, edgier, yes, tougher brother. Dude, but he, he can have his damn job back. His job right. sucks. <laughs> I, I want nothing to do with his job. Uh, and yeah, so I didn't do it as quote unquote professionally as, as Schefter does. And he gets paid millions of dollars to do what he does. And I get paid nothing to do what I do. Uh, so 
But I, I like, of course, I didn't do perspective. And I got like a couple jabs at a couple like legitimate journalists in our sport, being like, "Hey, you're not really a journalist." And I'm like, "Hey, I know, but you know what? Sometimes you need a little competition from people right. that you don't know or people that you do know that just piss you off and make you want to do your job better." Right. And I'm not saying that anyone in our sport doesn't do their job better, but I just wanted to do it. I was just like, "Look, well, I'm and, and, and 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 you spent two hundred and forty thousand dollars on a journalism degree, and I spent none. So. <laughs> <laughs> true i spent i spent two hundred forty thousand dollars on a government job and ended up being a professional after school sports coach so well, uh we're all on the, the same boat here <laughs> but i did i was like ryan schefter for a summer and i'll tell you right now have your jobs back look i'm never gonna do it again uh it was fun it was cool to break a break a few stories but I don't want it ever again. So we're going on to Jacksonville right now. Just kind of brought it up because. Thanks for giving us a peek behind the curtain. Team <laughs> Dude, it's, say there. it's, I want to swear. Cause that's all I do on a, on a normal basis. And right. it my was wife, so my wife brutal. I swear a lot. And little does she know that I'm swearing in my head three times as much <laughs> as I'm actually swearing. So I'm actually four times as bad. As what your wife thinks. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so, She's already borderline intervention. In that area. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so we got Jacksonville. Uh, Galloway, Powell was kind of a, you know, Galloway was named head coach at Jacksonville. Of course, this is one of the stories. We'll that just broke. call it Palloway, like Brangelina. <laughs> Palloway. Right. Oh, it's like Brangelina, but they broke right. up. <laughs> <laughs> Galloway, I love it. I love it. Right. But, uh, John Galloway was named head coach. Well, wasn't named head coach. Was actually given the job, but they didn't want to disclose it because I know Johnny was like, "Look, I gotta get this guy." And of course, it was in the package deal. I'm gonna get Casey Powell. It's gonna be a big swing. And look, if any school needs big publicity, it's Jacksonville. Mm -hmm. If you need big publicity to draw recruits, what better guy on your staff to do it than Casey Powell? No right. other better guy, unless, and we're going to talk about this at the end of the show, AT, you're going to marry up Galloway, Powell, and then marry it up with John Grant Jr. Then you're going to win a national championship in two days <laughs> because you're going to get the best Canucks. You're going to get the best Americans. They're all two days they'd have to suit the staff. Well, two days they'd have to suit the staff. <laughs> and then they would win. But uh, Galloway named Jacksonville, of course. Casey Powell, the big story of the summer. Going from retirement to the MLL, which is an incredible career, and God bless Casey Powell. He's absolutely one of top five all-time greatest players ever to hold a stick. Uh, we're named to Jacksonville. What were your thoughts? Uh, I think these guys are the perfect hire for a program like Jacksonville. Uh, you know, certainly as you just addressed, instantly Jacksonville – gets named two guys that are huge name recognition huge. guys with, you know, the best goalie probably on the planet right now in Galloway and, and arguably the best player of all time uh, are one of the top, you know, three, four, five, as you said, um, you know, coming right in to take over a program that I got to imagine is not signing a ton of, you know, top 10 recruiting classes, at least That's to true. this date. And so they're going to be getting guys that are, you know, at the very I can't worst, they got they're, 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 they're going to get guys at the very worst that are going to come down to Jacksonville to take a recruiting trip there just to get Casey's autograph. That's right. <laughs> and you know what? You get enough of those guys on campus and 
you know, you're, you're going to start to sign some people that change your program really, really quickly. Um, you know, and, and the other side of this is that, you know, you've got two ends of the field with the defensive end and the offensive end and two of the very top minds in the sport at those, uh, you know, coaching those two aspects of your team. And then you fuse that with the fact that both of those guys are extremely down to earth, relate to everybody. I yeah, mean, that is Casey, John true. Galloway, there's, there's no arrogance whatsoever. Not even close. In, in either of those guys. Yep. And so it's going to, it, all, all they do is, is, is going to, is going to get the best out of everybody, you know? And, and so I think that you're really looking at a program that's going to take a huge jump into uh at winnable least division league. two yeah a winnable league they're, they're going to be instantaneously a very very scary team and while they may need you know a year or two to get a round of their players i think you're going to see a team that's that, that plays and competes a lot more passionately right away because they're going to be playing for the coaches and those two guys as players casey good, and yeah. john galloway you know know exactly what it takes to unify a group of players to play together as a team. And so I think you're going to see those guys do a phenomenal job down there. Um, so I'm really excited for Jacksonville. I'm excited for the players in the program, for the recruits coming in. And I'm uh, I'm going long on Jacksonville in the men's lacrosse program. I am too. And I, I want to, like, first off, everyone wants to talk about Casey Powell being the big story of the summer. I actually, to the point you already made about the humbleness Look, I've sat with John Galloway, and I'm very sure when I sat with John and I'm like, hey, man, how you doing? You know, just like shooting the crap with them, all that kind of stuff. And he makes you believe. And I'm just – I've already – I'm done playing the game of lacrosse. He made me believe I was the best player by the end of the end of the conversation. Yeah, just and cool. I, he's just so cool of a guy. And to marry that up with a guy like Casey, who is also the same way. I mean, look, you can exactly. look in the eyes of a guy who is literally – top five all-time best players ever to hold a stick, he will literally convince you that you are literally, right. oh, you're right with me the whole time. I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't even, I don't even really know you. You don't even know right. me. Right. Um, they, they don't, there's, there's not a big, there's, there's not a big time you bone no. in their body, not which I close. think is. Uh, That's why they paired know. up. That's yeah. I think it's, up. I think it's a home run. I think it's a home run. Uh, Kevin McCown, Binghamton. Uh, we talked about this off air, uh, AT, but Binghamton, uh, McCown, an 06 alum from Binghamton. I graduated in 06 at Dartmouth, and Binghamton was incredible. And we talk about on the show how in, uh, how powerful the faceoff and goalie position could be. Uh, Kevin McCown, at the time he played, uh, put Binghamton on the map, and they were a scary team. And to be honest, they're still a scary team. Right. Uh, and Kevin McCown comes back to his alma mater. After being, you know, around, but boom, at Binghamton, going into um, uh, Bellarmine, excuse me, and then coming back. I mean, this is a great hire for a program, and I don't care where they want to stretch from. This guy knows the program. He knows the game of lacrosse. He's seen it from singing the goal, and I, I do think that goalies have a great perspective on both sides of the ball. Uh, what do you think? What are your thoughts here? I think this is a home run hire. You know, for a job that, you know, let's face it, virtually every, everybody else coaching college across looks at that job as a 
you know, NFW, am I going to apply? Right. Or if I do apply, you know, trying to get a I'll, go, I'll, I'll go there for, you know, three years and then hopefully get out of there as fast as possible. I mm -hmm. think the thing that makes this such a great hire for Binghamton, you know, aside from the things that you spoke about, which is the fact that he was, you know, uh, outstanding, one of the nation's best goaltenders while yes. he was there and certainly is a, you know, a, 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 is a great lacrosse mind. I think the thing that makes this such a great hire is that he's an alum of the school, right? And so he's got a passion to see this program return to national prominent, prominence like it was when he and his classmates were there. And, and, and he does it with virtually zero pressure because let's face it, that program has been run into the ground and it's not paying anything. It's not like people are saying, let's go vacation in Binghamton. You know? <laughs> if, 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 if our family vacation to Pottstown falls through, then we can go to Binghamton and people are doing cartwheels. But if you aren't already planning on a trip to Pottstown, Binghamton is staring up at rock bottom, right? So I, I think that this is, uh, this is a home run for Binghamton, the kids in the program, and you gotta be happy for Kevin getting this job. So great. That's a great hire. All right. Now we're moving on to the big one. And it's kind of dual purpose because we're going to talk about a little bit about Brown. Actually, a lot about Brown. Is Curtis to Westminster? Oh, it's the other big one. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> Curtis joins us, uh, myself. We got to get Curtis. Uh, yeah, we got to get, get Curtis, Curtis back on the program. Maybe we're going to get back on the program. We're gonna get we need Curtis's positive energy. It's threatening overtones. Uh, <laughs> His positive energy was like, hey, uh, you know, hey, look, I'm doing one on one. I'm not a Dodger. Curtis, I'm not a Dodger. I'm going one on one with you. We're good, right? He's like, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And snaps into <laughs> an animal and literally beats me up for like 15 one on one straight because it was an even number of guys in the line. And I lined up to him for 15 reps straight. Anyway, uh, that's a digression. I, love I, like, I, I, loved, I loved it when he grew his beard out the last, you know, two or three years at Vermont. I wanted, what I really wanted to do was I wanted to borrow. Uh, this green olive sweater vest that Scott Hochstadt used to wear around all the time. And I wanted to put it on Ryan Curtis, number one, because green is the school colors of Vermont, so it would have been perfect in that respect. All of, but moreover, that when fused with his beard that he had, he actually resembled Gans from the original movie 48 Hours, which was the villain to Eddie Murphy. And it was a perfect, who actually was played, who actually played Ajax in the movie The Warriors. Um, if you remember that as well, same character, but that, his oh, I beard, definitely remember. yes, yeah, same year, but, um, so let's go. So the, so the big news, go on to the big news. Sorry. Big news. <laughs> Dude, that's such a sick digression. It happens. It happens. Uh, it's all right. Uh, Lars Tiffany, Lars Tiffany takes over the Cavaliers. And now we've talked about this a bunch on the show. Lars was a candidate. We thought front runner, one of the front runner. Andy Shea was mm -hmm. another front runner. Obviously, we yep. talked about Kevin Corrigan. In fact, on our sure. uh, Twitter account, it really wasn't either one of us uh, tweeting about Kevin Corrigan getting the job from our in your face laxcast Twitter account. It was me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I said he's definitely getting it. Yeah, and so I was like, oh, if you say it, and I've heard definitely from other people, oh, I'm definitely doing it. Uh, which again, reason why I'm never going to be Ryan Schefter ever again. Uh, so Lars was in that front runner. He was mm -hmm. actually not in the front running of the job for the right. longest time. Right. And then finally they came to their senses. They finally picked up the phone, called them. And well, rumor, uh, rumor has it that it was Corrigan's job to turn down. Right. They went course. back and forth and eventually he turned it down. Kevin decided to go back to right. stay at Notre Dame, which yep. is great. And then they, 
you know, we both know they, they went after Andy Shea, which is what they should have done. And Yale did the right thing and was proactive in making sure way he's proactive, not going anywhere. By the way. They Look, didn't win really, after Shea, but it was prior really smart, to them actually. Really, like, really smart. They've cemented their future for as long as the next 15 years or whatever, 100%. as long as Andy continues to coach, Yale is yep. going to be right there. And I don't care what the league does. Andy um, actually mentioned a, he, he ended up being like, hey, why would you Pizza go to still UVA? sucks there, Rick. Still yeah. sucks. Yeah. Uh, you know what he mentioned? He was like, why isn't uh, – we were like, you know, UVA has got to be one of the most prominent, if not best jobs in the country. He's like, why isn't mine? I thought that was a sick – I thought That's that was a answer. sick line. And you know what? That's a guy who is in it for Yale for the probably the rest of his career, as he should. You know what? He's right. I mean, how do you – Absolutely right. How do you argue that? Other I mean, than the pizza. In sport, as we've said many, many times – in a sport where people can't sign big lucrative contracts coming out of college, He's you know, right. you're going to get that big lucrative deal graduating from Yale a lot sooner than you are anywhere else in the country. You know, there may be a couple of schools that it's Thai, but it's only Thai. Right. Um, so it, it, he's 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 a very smart guy. Uh, he is a smart guy. But Lars Tiffany takes over UVA. And of course, yep. you being the guy who transcends both Dom, both Lars, mm -hmm. both Brown. Somewhat of UVA. You don't really change then there. You went on a, uh, a visit there, official visit, of course. And two visits. I did so well in high school. Um, <laughs> academically, <laughs> I actually had time for two visits there. <laughs> what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on Lars Tiffany? How bummed are you? How pumped yeah, are you? Yeah. What was the scoop? You know, I think uh, first and foremost, let me say that as a Brown alum uh, and a friend of Lars's, you know, all – all we can do is be appreciative of the job that he did during his time in Providence. Let's right. face it. He brought Brown back to national, you know, he brought them back to his Since top. 94. Yeah. I mean, he, he brought them to the final four, which had only been done one time. And he is going to be sorely missed because as an alum, like we talked about with Kevin in Binghamton, as an alum, he was personally invested as well as professionally invested. And, we knew as alums, as much as we wanted Brown to succeed on the lacrosse field, Lars wanted to have Brown succeed a little bit more than we all did. Yeah, of course. And his family's quality of life was connected to that. And so for that, I'm really sorry to see him, or I was really uh, not disappointed. I was sad to see him go. Right. Um, I, I also think that he had to go. Okay. You would have gone. Absolutely. I would have gone. Absolutely. Uh, and I think, I think that as he stated in the press release, you know, listen, anybody that doesn't agree with the statement that you're going to be in the running for a national championship more often as the head coach of Virginia than you will be at Brown. It doesn't know the sport. No, they and so the sport. as a coach, you're doing it to win national championships. And so Lars had to make this move because this gets him closer to competing for a national championship every single year. And that is the absolute pinnacle in the sport of lacrosse for us. It, it's, it's bigger than a world championship. He's looking to be number 10. It's big, it's, it, that's, it's exactly right. And, and so he had to take the move. And then you factor in, the uptick okay. in finances between everything, everything all involved. He's making more money. He's living in an area where 
you know, in Providence, the weather's great for three, uh, you know, one season down there. It's no, great no, 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 not, no, no, no. You're using the same analogies as you do in Hanover. There's a, no, it's another. Different. It's different. No, Hanover, it is a Hanover only has two weeks of good weather, Ryan. <laughs> Providence has a full season of good weather. Okay. And so I just think that this was, this was the right time. He's, he earned it. He did, and he jumped on it, and to his credit, he took it, and he and he and he was honest on his way out the door. Now I know that the Brown players were disappointed that he left, and certainly I was disappointed when Dom left. I was to disappointed go to when Ricky left. Yeah, and and I and I get it from that standpoint, but it's it's for Lars. It's not about the players at Brown. It's about Lars's family's quality of life. That's what it's about. And 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 the better that Lars does at moving his career forward, the higher quality of life he and his family has. And that's what it's about for Lars. And to his credit, he took the move. Um, so I'm, I'm happy for Lars. Uh, you know, I was disappointed to see him leave Brown. Uh, sad to see him leave Brown. Not disappointed. I was actually, actually happy for him. Um, and I was concerned about that coaching vacancy and, and, and who would fill it. Oh, don't ruin it. Don't spoil it. Don't spoil it because no one knows yet. We're the first to announce it. (laughs) Uh, We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about who did replace Brown. But on top of that, we're going to talk a little bit about, again, something that not a lot of people have taken a little research to. Annie and I have talked about it. We'll be right back. Maximize your comfort. My boy, Chris Fikes. UNC assistant coach, defensive coordinator, yes, who won a national championship, killed it, worked really hard. By the way, was not the defensive coordinator. You're talking to an all-world player. His boss is an all-world defenseman. And then he comes in as a midfielder from Maryland, another at the time ACC school, works his ass off. Gets to the point where he takes over defense, and when he does, within three to four years, I apologize, Chris. I don't remember when you exactly took over the uh, defensive coordinator rule, uh, role, but when you did, within a certain amount of time, three or four years, you win a national championship. Congratulations on University of Vermont. Uh, At, what do you think of this hire? I think it's a home run. Uh, Listen, you're you're getting a guy that's familiar with the area. Uh, of Burlington, Vermont, due to family connections there. So Which is one, really cool, by the way. I didn't even know that. He told me on the phone, he was like, look, uh, I did a camp at Camp Something Something right down the street from Burlington. I have a really huge affinity to it. I thought that was awesome. Uh, so right. keep going. Sorry to interrupt. Well, you, no, you, you look at him and he's like, I, I'm from up there. I said, are you sure it wasn't Finland where you were? <laughs> <laughs> was it Sweden or Greenland? <laughs> Uh, no, but you got a guy that 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 likes the area, and that I think is the greatest hurdle for the University of Vermont in keeping their coaches, people 100%. that want to be in those areas. And so you 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 marry that up with the fact that he's coming off a national championship year as the defensive coordinator at an ACC school, and you know, like Palloway, uh, he's Palloway. incredibly down to earth. You know, unassuming guy who also is hyper competitive and, you know, has a great appreciation for attention to detail. And so all of those things combine to make him just a, a home run. You know, I, I had initially spoken about my hope that they were going to hire Mike Kruger for that job. I still believe that Mike Kruger would have done a great job there as he was Ryan Curtis's assistant and, and had been up there for, for years. But, you know, if, 
if they weren't going to hire him, you know, I, when I was saying that, obviously, I, I, I didn't know who else was looking at the job. I was just an advocate for Mike. But, you know, after it's all now said and done and, and, and Fife's has the job there, you really can't think of staff. anybody that would be a better fit than than him. So I, I think that they uh, they knocked it out of the park. What a staff. He brings in uh, WAC offensive coordinator uh, Chris Miller. He yeah. brings in uh bernhardt bernhardt yep stud that's such a such a great move i mean he brings in arguably of all the coaching moves i mean look powell's going to have casey powell i don't care how good you are at lacrosse there is a learning curve that he is going to need when it comes time to actually recruiting coaching on field doing it every day like like actually i remember at you and i would battle it out in office meetings about what you wanted for just two hours for practice every day we did that that's a learning curve no he brings in guys that already know that learning curve right i mean that's impressive to me and on top of it that whole association with uh him knowing the area i mean i talked to him at length i thought for him this is awesome i mean look Sure, you know, the only best time of the year that is in Burlington, Vermont, and I'll tell you, it's one of the most underrated, and I've said this to everyone I've ever known, one of the most underrated cities in America. It is. It's Um, a great spot. It is a great spot, but unfortunately, he's on the recruiting road during the only best time. At least they have an airport there. You know, they don't have to take a, you know, horse and buggy like we did from Hanover all the way down on the Bob Job down to Manchester. 75 minutes. Southwest, Southwest. It's tough. It's tough. Now they just go right to Burlington Airport, 10 minute spot, and they get to wherever they want. Jet immediate televisions. Right. SkyMix, tons of JetBlue SkyMix. Really, really excited for uh, Chris Weiss at UAM. But the last one, the last coaching move. Of course, uh, the one that we haven't covered, of course, is Mike Daly to Brown from Tufts. Uh, I think it was three-time national championship or two-time? Tufts? Yeah, two or three. I I, I think he's won more than that. I think he's – I don't know. I think he's won – did he win the last two? It seems to me like he's won the national championship. It seems like it's been five times. but I know, but he's he's been there a lot. Yeah. There's sick research we did. Cemented himself as the best coach in Division Three the last five years. No question, right? I mean, that's, that's a fair yeah, Berkman's Berkman's been there and he's Berkman, still there. Berkman, Berkman's the best in the last 15 years because he's done it so many more times. But but, but then you got Berkman, our guy Jay did Coon. Berkman take over. You know, then you got our guy Jay Coon. Jay Coon. Jay Coon, Jay Coon took RIT from nobody to from three and twenty-seven because that's what that's what Mike Daly. When Mike Daly took over Tufts. They were like but that was like three and twenty-seven no for three years before he got there. Time right. I mean, Jay Coon took it over in the last ten years. I mean, that's impressive for a guy to take it over. And then, of course, you got Canabine, who's done a great job, too. I think he those has. four guys, those four guys have cemented themselves. And I'm not, I'm just arguing with the argue. Uh, yes, I think, I do think Mike Daly. Although you do, has, do that from time to yes, time. Yes, I do. And I yeah. do. Uh, <laughs> I do think that Mike Daly has cemented himself as the best coach in the last five years. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but there are great coaches there. But Mike Daly takes over Brown. Now, without doing any further research, and we're going to do some cool research here, how do you feel about Mike Daly taking over Brown without explaining any further? I'm, i got to be honest. I'm really, really excited. I mean, clearly the guy is a proven winner. Uh, I trust Jack Hayes, the athletic director at Brown. I Love trust Hayes, Bernie Bonanno. I trust Ron Daglish, who are both you know Brown lacrosse alums that were on the committee who you know have a great – uh, judge of character, you cannot argue 
with the success that Mike Daly has had. You know, people say, hey, he didn't play lacrosse. But you know what? He he obviously has established a winning culture and he knows how to recruit super smart student athletes. And he's been able to put together a winning product on the field at a place that, you know, was the worst in the NESCAC when he took over. And so I'm ecstatic. While I, while I don't know him personally, um, you'll you know, get to Mike know him Frizzoli, real well. We all know that. You'll get to know him real well. We all know that. Well, if he's, if he's able to stay out late at night, Ryan, otherwise we might not ever meet. Um, so, uh, you know, but with that said, Mike Frizzoli, whose kid Jack Frizzoli is going to, yep. you know, stud, you know, yes, from Massachusetts guy. And, and yep. Mike Frizzoli uh, played football at Tufts with Mike Daly. And he just said that the guy is just an absolute home winner, run. stud, home run. home run. And that's that's all I've heard. I've heard no negatives. Um, you know, the only negative I look at, and, and I know we're going to talk about this a little bit, is just the fact that, you know, you're Division Three and, and you're going to Division One. And, and to me, while the game is the same, I just don't think the overall job is the same. Um, and, it, and that'll probably bum some people out. But I just think that due to all the rules and the, and the, and the recruiting, um, it's, a, it's a different animal. But let's face it, if, if anybody has proved himself able to handle that, without actually having done it before, it's Mike Daly. So I'm extremely optimistic that, uh, you know, that, that Virginia got better with the hiring of Lars. And I'm going to be hopeful that, you know, Brown will Continues. get better as well. And, yeah. and uh, you know, for, for different reasons than what Lars brought to the table. So uh, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, well, one of the things you should be most excited about is the pace of play definitely is not going to tone it down. That's for right. sure. Right. I mean, uh, Mike Daly made it very known when he's at Tufts that, hey, this is what we're going to do, and I'm going to live with 38 turnovers a game, but I'm going to shoot 150 shots. Well, great. you better have a great goalie. and a be You better have the best goalie and the best face-off guy if you're going to continue to stick to True that story. pace of play. Because, you know, as great as Brown was last year, and everybody says, hey, they play such fun, fast lacrosse, blah, 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 blah. You know why? Because Corral is the best face-off guy in the country, and Jack Kelly's probably the second best player in the country. Both are the best at their respective positions. And when you're winning 70% of the faceoffs stepping onto the field and your goalie saving 68% of the shots that he faces <laughs> stepping onto the field, it allows you to play that way and, and pound people. Larkin you know? Kemp, you, Larkin Kemp definitely made it easy too. Same with Tullet. <laughs> That's right. You know, yeah, you're right. With the attack yeah. and, and, and same with the short sticks. I mean, listen, they all had a part of it and I'm not saying that style of play isn't, isn't, uh, you know, the way to play. Uh, but, but I'm saying that if you don't get great goaltending and you don't get great face-off success, playing that way will get you beat. At Division One, I agree. Uh, however, Mike Daly might disagree with you because he's been playing that way for the last five, six, seven years now, and he's been very successful. But look at the goaltenders and look at the face-off guys. He's had a toughs. But is Dylan Malloy a product of the pace of play? Is Larkin Kemp a product of the pace of play? Is Alex? No, they're Cullen? special talents. They're special talents they no are. matter what, no matter would, what system they're Would playing. we have ever seen it if Lars didn't decide not, to go not, with... To, not, not to this. We wouldn't have the same amount of data points simply because they, there wouldn't be as many because they wouldn't be, sure. you know, there wouldn't be that many possessions per team. Yet, you cannot refute the fact that those guys you know, are special players oh, no that will make special plays every time they play. 
But if each possession or each team's getting 18 possessions per game versus each team getting 42 possessions per game, you're just not going to have as many data points. I don't disagree with you at all there. Um, but let's talk a little bit about, let's bum you out. Great. I want to bum you out a little bit because not a lot of talk has been had about D3 head coach going to a D1 school. And yep. I wanted to tweet this out, but I've, I just didn't do enough research and talking with you. We did enough. You kind talk. of got, you become a little downtrodden on your media game. You said too. So. That, that's right. That's right. And, and I had the tweet ready to go and I saved it into my drafts. I got like a thousand drafts and a lot of it's actually just drunken stupidness. But, uh, so Mike Daly goes from D3 to well, D1. Yahoo email data breach. Then they put you in jeopardy there. <laughs> So we did a little research just off the top of our heads about the success of D3 head coaches who go directly to D1. Now, people who think about, you know, Bill Tierney types, Bill Tierney went from Cortland, right? Yeah. To oh, you, mean, you, mean, you mean as a, as a student? As a, as a player. Where did he go? He was D3. He, he went to Cortland, played the cross at Cortland, right? Yeah. And then went straight to Hopkins as an assistant? No. I, I believe he went to RPI. Yeah. Coached yeah. Women's yeah. soccer where he won like a <laughs> – either like – he went to like the national semifinals. He did some no unbelievable job no coaching the women's soccer team. And obviously he never played women's soccer. Um, you know, uh, and then he coached the men's lacrosse team and did a great job. I, I believe, and then he ended up going and working for Zim at Hopkins. I think that's I think that's correct. Close enough, but still very yeah. impressive. Yeah. Uh, but he also he made a stop in print. He made a stop in D one before he took. He a stopped D1 off in Princeton for Cincinnati's. Yeah, <laughs> nice stop off. Right. Well, but he at what he did first. is he pulled into the Molly Pitcher rest area off I ninety five to get some gas. <laughs> And saw that's that they on the were turnpike, by the way. He saw that Jerry Schmidt was stepping down at Princeton, so he just he just, he just dropped in for 21 years and, and six natties <laughs> and then split. Uh, so tyranny types are yeah. not included in this, but okay. we're going to go through a few that I know that we all know, and I'm going to do it by, I guess I don't know. We we made a list and worst to best, I guess. Do it by the type of music they like. <laughs> we're going to start with. <laughs> We're going to start with Scott Nelson. Scott Nelson. Country and folk music, I think you probably like. <laughs> Scott Nelson went from Nazareth to Brown. Yeah. Then Marist, then Binghamton. Yeah. We all know his path. Successful or not successful, where are you going, A.T.? Well, he obviously won, I think, three national championships at Nazareth at a place that had never won a national championship before. So he was wildly successful there. He went up to Brown and. He actually uh, recruited well. Really Listen, well. he, he, he's a likable guy, and um, I think he did a good job in a lot of aspects of the program. But I just don't think he was the great a great fit there because you look at you know the the, the type of student athletes he's recruiting to Nazareth versus the type of student athletes he's recruiting to Brown. And I think while he's likable, at the end of the day, um, you know, uh, I, I just don't think it was an appropriate fit. I thought he would go and do a better job at Binghamton than he did. Well, Maris, well, he went to Maris first after yeah, he, he got did, fired from Brown. A, I think he did a pretty good job at Maris. He did Maris. okay. He did all yeah. right. And I thought in his but, first but year overall, he did all right at Binghamton. Overall, if we're evaluating success as a national Up championship, or down. Or down. Um, you got to say no. Yeah. He, he yeah, wasn't he great as a Division One head coach. Uh, the next one, old school, Dave Urich. Dave Urich was still won. better than me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Dave Urich, uh, multinational championship in D3 yeah. at Hobart, goes to Georgetown, and Georgetown to this day, and I know Kevin's trying yep. to do his best, yep. has been one of the biggest underachievers, if not the biggest underachiever. Maybe the biggest. Yeah. yeah. I, but I think, I, I, I think that Dave Urich, I want to say, won 11 on I think I think like eleven national championships in Hobart or something something crazy like that. Yeah, uh, and I think he won them all in a row before Scott Nelson eventually was the guy I think to beat him. Uh, and then he gets the job at Georgetown. Georgetown was transitioning from like a club program to Division One, mm -hmm. uh, and he you know he took them to a Final Four when Connor Gill was a freshman. That was down. I remember at, that. College Park. I drove down there. They got the new helmets that year too. The there was first a lot of release. A lot of, of mayonnaise helmets. in the truck. It made it smelled like mayonnaise from my sandwich. <laughs> and it smelled like dip a lot of turkey. Side. It just was. It was beat, and the windows are down. And, and he, but he, Hanford was cranking Fred Durst seemingly for seventeen straight hours while we stuck in traffic. But um, you know, Hanford. he was good. He was good early. I, I, I would say that I'm going to give Coach Urich the second best performance second in the best. transition. From Division Three head coach to Division One head coach. Ah, I would ooh second best because I got two other guys on this list yep. that might beat Yurik. Uh, okay. Next one uh, probably is the best, and maybe maybe not. But you got to go, with Mike Pressler. Sure. And, Mike Pressler yeah. went from Ohio Wesleyan to Duke, and while he did not win a national championship, while he did bring Duke to a couple Final Fours, I believe. He never could get over that hump. And, of course, his career ended with a sham job. Sucks. Yeah, but now he's sitting on probably eight figures, and he's sitting on another six at Bryant, and he's right. sitting awfully fine, uh, as deserved. But yeah. Mike Pressler goes from Ohio Wesleyan to Duke. Is he successful in terms of the eyes of the world of lacrosse? You know what? I, I think in Mike Pressler's case – you have to say uh, yes. I mean, okay. if you're going to do a cut and dry, he didn't win a national championship. But at Duke, though. We're talking Duke. But listen, listen. He accomplished the exact same things at Duke as he did at Ohio Wesleyan. He never won That's a national true. championship at true. Ohio Wesleyan. He lost, right. he lost in the national championship with you know, Charlie Blanchard and Toby Boucher and Kevin Finneran. And they had some incredible teams. I think that, Kevin Finneran was there for like six weeks, right? <laughs> well, he transferred from Cornell to Oulu, um, you know. But, know. but they had they had some great teams, and they always somehow lost to Hobart, who always seemed to have one or two more players than experience they experience helps too. Exactly right. And but but let's face it, you know, he he took them to you know one of the best two teams in Division Three, and then went and got the job at Duke when the Needham Needler was becoming, I think, a junior, and Kevin Eriks was a junior that class. And so I believe that Mike Presser coached those guys for two years. Mike Murphy, the current Penn coach was there and, you know, he quickly took a team that was sort of a top 15 team nationally. And let's face it. He, he brought them to arguably the best two teams in the country again, right there in the year that, you know, the whole Duke scandal happened, you know, they may have won the national championship. That may have. I, I want to say that they beat like, Virginia, like 17 to two. And then, and then, I mean, they, they were, they were, they were the team. They could have been, they could have been arguably one of the best teams of all time. If That's right. Matt Donowski, I believe was like a sophomore and Career, was attackman of the year. And, and they had, you know, right. the Brattons were committed to go to Duke, I, I think at that point, And they weren't, they weren't there yet, but there was no question that Mike Pressler 
was on the uh, express train to winning uh, more than one national championship had that whole scandal never unfairly, uh, you know, uh, halted his his time there. I agree. Um, so I would say Mike Pressler Number is was absolutely uh, the most successful coach to transfer from Division One head coach to a Division uh, Division Three head coach to Division One. Role. Right. I agree. Uh, but now I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you because you said Dave Urich, number two. I'm going to throw out a guy that's still coaching right now. And of yeah. course, Mike Pressel still at Bryant. But he's, let's face it, Bryant to make a national championship there. They were close. They beat Skeet in the happen. first round. Probably not going to happen. happen. Uh, Mike Murphy went from Haverford yeah. to Penn. Now he did do some stops around the D1 world. Yeah. But we're talking about D3 head coach to D1 head coach. Uh, he did a great job at Haverford, incredible job at Haverford. And I still think he's doing a great job at Penn. Now, if you look at it in terms of championships, he's never won an outright Ivy League championship. And I'm sure yeah. that burns every night that he wakes up in the morning. And, but he did win uh, he did an Ivy League tournament. He did win an Ivy League tournament, though. That is correct. So where do you stack Mike Murphy up against Mike Pressler and Dave Yurick? And by the way, those would be arguably your top three. Mike Murphy uh, still has a, uh, he's got a long you know, he's, he still probably has, you know, 15 to 20 years of coaching ahead of him. So he's got a long you know, way to go. I, I believe that Mike Murphy eventually will uh, pass Dave Urich. Uh, eventually, I believe that he has not done that yet. And the reason he hasn't done that yet is because Dave Urich took Georgetown, which was a club program to a final four, right? Mike Murphy, while he's done a great job at Penn, took over for Brian Volker, who did a great job at Penn himself. And right, Penn actually went to the final four under Tony Seaman. And they won playoff games with Brian Volker. That's true. And, you know, so it's, it's a program that has been there before when it's Tony Seaman was there in 1988, yep. where Dave Urich took Georgetown, which was not even a Division One team, to a Final Four. Mike Murphy has yet to do that at Penn. Now, I believe that Mike Murphy will eventually get Penn to a Final Four. I, I, I think really? at some point he will eventually do that. And for his sake, I hope it's sooner rather than later. Um, but, but until he does that, I don't think you can say that he's done a better job in the transition from head coach Division Three to head coach Division One than Dave York. I don't think you can say that yet. Well, we're going to go through one, two, three, four guys. And I know there are probably a bunch of other guys that we haven't, but if there are guys that we haven't mentioned, they probably are no go. Uh, Jim Stagnita. Jim Stagnita went from Washington Lee. Yeah. He did a great job at Washington Lee. In fact, I have a great story about Jim Stagnita going from Washington Lee and Rutgers. Jim, when I was in the recruiting process, there was no one, no one in the country that recruited me other than Ricky Soul as hard as Jim Stagnita did it at uh, WNL, and they didn't have the same rules at Division One. He, he called me Stagnita was a great every recruiter. day. He yeah. called me every day, yeah. and finally, my mom was like, "Look, you got to tell him you don't want to go D three. You got a tons of offer. You well, not tons. I should. I'm not going to pump myself in the back. Tunnish. <laughs> uh, you got offers from D one. You're going to go D one. So I was like, "Hey, coach, uh, I really appreciate." you know, your, you know, persistence. But I really feel like at this point, I'm going to go to division one. He said, Hey, I really appreciate your division one. players a lot. Pump the phone. Yeah. Then in the winner. same year, winner response. same year, he gets the Rutgers job. 
calls me right back. My mom, of course, she runs the household. She answers the phone, <laughs> every single phone call, <laughs> uh, and says, uh, it's Coach Stagnina again. And I'm like, this was like, I don't know, four months later. And I'm like, I just told the guy I didn't want to go to WNL. And I'm like, hey, Coach Stagnina, how you doing? He's like, hey, Ryan, I'm at Rutgers now. Yeah. <laughs> Your Audi Rock will fit it a lot better down here than it will up in Hanover. <laughs> But I wasn't even committed then. I was like, and he was like, do you want to come to Rutgers? I'm like, coach, nah, I'm kind of interested now. But, I, you know, I have a lot of process I got to go through. And he was like, ah, that's all I needed here. And then, dude, he's an animal. But yeah, Jim he, did great. not exactly go from WNL at the same success as he did when he went to Rutgers. There's no question about that. Yeah. I, I think I would I would put Jim Stagnitas uh transition from D1 to D from D3 to D1 right on par with Mike Murphy's right he goes to Rutgers and I believe with Debbie Delby Palace they go oh to the playoffs oh my god they were finish, great like, Havlicek was the goalie too he was yeah awesome. he was great he was great um so but 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 I would say that was that's about the same body of work right now now I believe Mike Murphy will uh continue to have success at Penn and will be more highly regarded as handling that transition better. Ironically, Stags coached with Murphy last year, so right. kind of odd. It but is. I do think that uh, you know Stagnia certainly did a did a good job. Whether you can say it's successful or not, you know, I, I think that to make the NCAA playoffs in Division One at a school that doesn't traditionally make the NCAA playoffs is a huge accomplishment, and it's very very hard to do. So, I disagree. Yeah, so well, I, I, you know, I wanted to mention Jim because Jim, uh, I, I have a lot of respect for him. It's a big time program, but Jim's situation at Rutgers changed drastically since Brian Breck has taken over. Yeah. And Brian Breck might have been one of the few hires in the country that really wasn't on resume. It was more about performance. And that's, yeah. I think that, I don't know, I'm looking at you right now and I'm thinking, ATA, you would agree with that. Brian Brack taking over Rutgers afterwards was purely on performance, had nothing to do with your resume, who you coached with, who you did this. I mean, Brian Brack spent, what, 15 years at Siena and did a killer job there, yeah, uh, an incredible job. And we were all pumped as a Division One world when he got the Rutgers job because guess what? Rutgers has that capability. Because he, he earned it the way that when you're an assistant coach at Division One, you hope everybody gets their job. That's he's right. not kissing rings. He's not, you know, he's, he's, he's not – uh, trying to position himself politically to get a job through anything other than performance-based, which was why everybody was so happy when Brian Breck got that job. And then to go on and see him come back and have the season that they had this past this spring awesome. after you know a 2-12 and 12 season where he got suspended for unfair uh, treatment or whatever the bullshit uh, was that, that, right. that, you know, it just... It's just great to see. You know, I, I don't think there's uh, a person out there that knows anything about the sport that doesn't root for Brian Breck to be successful. The next one is Kyle Hannon, and I'm going to group you up. He's a great coach, group. too. Great coach. And that's what everyone says. Kyle yeah. Hannon is one of the best out there. Mm -hmm. Goes from Division Three Goucher uh, to running Mercer, and I'll tell you, in his first year, and to be honest, right now, I mean, Mercer is in contention for the SOCON, Every single year. And while they might not produce, say, as many wins as a lot of programs or recruits want to see in that whole process, Kyle Hannon has gotten the job done. He's done a great job. He's definitely brought Mercer to the next step. But in terms of D3 to D1, 
is he quite there? And can he do it at a school like Mercer? That's really the question. You know, I, I think that if you're talking about Kyle Hannon going to win a national championship at Mercer, the answer is no, that's not going to happen. Okay. But you look at the job that he's done at Mercer, right? They finished five and eight this year in the Southern Conference, three and four. But you look at, you know, the wins that they had in the league. They pounded Jacksonville 12 5. They beat Furman, you know, 12 10, who had Ohio State dead in the water. They beat High Point. I'm sorry, they lost to High Point. Um, but they they only lost to Air Force 15 to 13 the first weekend in April. And Air Force, as we know, oh, was man, scary, 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 scary and as good as anybody. Um, you know, and so I think the, the, the answer is, can he win the Southern Conference at Mercer? Oh, my God. Yes. And the answer to that is absolutely he can. And he's taken a team that, you know, had virtually no identity other than losing 20 to 2 to everybody every season and has <laughs> right. now put a serious scare into every team that has to play them, uh, not just in the league, but out of the league. Um, you know, so so I think the answer is yes. I think he can he can be very successful. I think they're going to win a conference championship sooner rather than later. And, you know, does that lead to him getting a job that, uh, you know, at a school that supports their program more than that? And I think that the answer is yes. So I think that he eventually is going to be coaching a top 10 program, which, which you know, will be at a different school other than Mercer. But I think he will have earned that the old fashioned way. So the next two were Guy Van Arsdale went from Colorado College to Jacksonville. We all know who, how that ended up. Yeah. Uh, and then Steve Manita from Mercy College, which was D2 to Manhattan. Uh, but all in all, coming back to the original point, which is D3 to D1 head coaching opportunities, there's not a whole lot of success in general when you look at it. And then you can pick some of the top schools I mean, look, Mike Daly has got a chip on his shoulder, much like Nick Myers did over the last year with all that's gone before him. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, for you as a Brown Bear fan and alum, um, it, it should be interesting to see how Mike Daly does. Now, it's probably a better transition than most coaches come in to their respective jobs, mm -hmm. knowing that, hey, look, he had an assistant that ran his system to a T while he was there, but he's not there anymore. He's bringing his entire staff with him. Now, Brett Holm comes on board, uh, who's from Providence, but obviously no Tufts. He's, he's an alum from Tufts. And, of course, you got the kid Callahan who will come on. He'll do his thing there, too. I'm just saying, is there a huge precedent for D3 to D1? There's Look, not. If, but if, if, if I wasn't biased in that, I really want Mike Daly to succeed. If, if Mike Daly was taking over, you know, Penn or any place other than Brown, I would, I would be betting against Mike Daly, his success. I would be betting against, yep. I wouldn't be betting against so much Mike Daly personally as right, much right, as I would be betting against the decision of a division one athletic director to hire a division three head coach, just based on the data points that we've referenced in the last 10 minutes. Right. It's, it's hard to say that, Oh, great hire. He's hiring a D three head coach to be a, a D one head coach. That's going to work out great. When we both know it hasn't worked out great for Not hardly anybody. Nah. Right. So it remains to be seen, but I'm extremely optimistic that if anybody can do it, 
it's it Mike, Daly, Mike Daly, and and and, and personally, um, I, I hope he does it, and I think he will do it. But Casey you know, Denofo, Casey Denofo comes in, replaces Mike Daly at Tufts. Yeah, uh, as we talked about before, he t- he just basically changed a vowel in his. Uh, <laughs> right, he's coaching at Tufts now. He's coaching at Tufts now. He coached right. from Tufts school. Now yeah. a lot of people had a lot of like beef about this. First off, shut up. Right. No one knows. T- <laughs> Look out another window, Mrs. Kravitz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, shut up! Like, if, first care? off, it's a D three school. What are they taking over your NFL? Teams do you think and back yeah, off? Right? You think they're going to get Bill Tierney to come in and coach? Shut, shut up! First off, right? I mean, right. no disrespect for Casey Denolfo by saying that. If anything, I actually should, you know, making the Tierney to Denolfo um, comparison should actually compliment him. But look, Casey Denolfo has done an incredible job at Taft. He knows the recruiting process on the other half. Yep. He knows the same kid that's going to want to go to Tufts in the first place. So shut up. And he played for and Daly. He played. You know Daly's going to pave the road for him and make it because now Daly, you know, is obviously a Tufts alum. He wants to see the program continue to thrive. No you doubt. know he had a hand in that hire. Absolutely. Uh, and, and so you, you got every reason to believe that Casey Denolfo is going to do a great it. job. He is. And let's face it, he's a great guy. He's a smart guy. He's an alum which is what we spoke about earlier in the podcast. You know, the only thing he doesn't have is, is he hasn't been currently, you know, in college coaching, but um, you know, you've got a lot, he's got a lot of resources to lean on. And I, I have every reason to believe that, um, you know, Tufts is going to continue to be one of the best programs in division three. Well, if you think about it, just in general between D three and high school, there's no difference. You can't <laughs> touch NESCAC schools until February 15th. Guess what? Right. Taft, right. I bet is on the field before February 15th to begin with. So, right. in fact, like outside of just dealing with better talent all the time. And he knows how to sell the school. I mean, look, he's not comp- it's not like he's trying to sell kids, uh, you know, against other super high-end urban envi- <laughs> academic urban environments. You know, the right. schools that can hang academically, Williams and Amherst and, and you know, maybe Middlebury, uh, you know, academically with Tufts are all different geographically. Absolutely. And he's an alum. He knows how to sell it. You know, I think that, you know, you get 10 great kids, seven of them in the lacrosse world usually want to go urban. Right. You know, and the three that don't, maybe he gets seven of the top 10 and one goes to Middlebury and one goes to Williams and one goes to Amherst. Although I will say, I think JT at Amherst is yeah, putting together a great job. an incredible program. Uh, just, you know, two of the kids that he has coming up here, one this kid, Colin Minicus from Darianne, who I personally think was the best player in the state of Connecticut and one of the best in you know the whole country last year is going to Amherst. And he's probably going to play two sports and he's going to be somebody that's going to be a first team All-American as a sophomore up there. And we're going to say, who the hell is this kid? And how did he end up going to Amherst? But that's true. Uh, so I, I think that, I think that Amherst is going to take a huge jump, but I do think Casey Adolfo is a, is a great hire there, regardless of what the, uh, you know, the rest of the cross world thinks. We got two topics left on this podcast. Uh, we've got Utah, huge developments there and a mm-hmm. lot of controversy there. And then we're going to end the show with who's better. Casey Powell or John Grant Jr. I had posed that question a couple months ago, but we're going to hash it out right on the podcast. We'll be right back. Maximum. Chicago. 